Hello, welcome to a podcast for The Lancet Neurology. I'm Gavin Cleaver. It's November 2018. I'm joined today by Dr. Jan Scheitz, whose recent review of stroke heart syndrome is a comprehensive overview of this under-recognized condition. Jan, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, many thanks for inviting me. Please could you start off by telling our listeners a bit about what stroke heart syndrome is? So the stroke heart syndrome is uh, the occurrence of cardiac alterations during the first few days after an ischemic stroke. And it comprises a continuum of different cardiac complications, beginning with subtle ECG alterations, elevations in cardiac biomarkers, and impaired autonomic cardiac reflexes. But it may also range to the occurrence of severe arrhythmia, heart failure, and sudden cardiac death. So um, usually it occurs in peaks within the first three days after the event. And there's good evidence from several clinical studies that stroke heart syndrome is a frequent medical complication since it occurs in about one out of five patients. And although it is, can be oligosymptomatic or even asymptomatic, it is independently associated with a poor outcome and therefore we believe uh, clinically relevant. Hmm. So it's quite a, quite a widespread condition among patients that have stroke. Yes, indeed. Well, what has to be done in, in the clinical setting is basically um, to show that and document that the cardiac alterations are a consequence of the stroke and it has to be um, documented that the cardiac injury or dysfunction are either newly detected after the event or clear evidence shows worsening of cardiac function after stroke. And it should be conceptually distinguished from cardiac injury uh, due to acute coronary syndrome. So what patients are most at risk for developing this syndrome? There are several established risk factors for the syndrome. So um, in our review, we, we outlined um, the pathophysiology um, and the presumed mechanism. And in brief, the stroke heart syndrome is considered to derive from stroke-induced disturbance of the normal neuronal control of the heart, and they might be regarded as a stress test for the heart. And if we consider the manifestations of stroke heart syndrome as a result of a stroke-induced stress test, it becomes clear that First, individuals with a more vulnerable or susceptible heart are at risk, and that second, um, stroke severity and ischemic lesion location, in, or in other words, the severity of the stress test influence the occurrence and extent of stroke heart syndrome. It has been shown consistently that pre-existing cardiac comorbidities promote the development of the syndrome, and this means especially patients with already known coronary or structural heart disease are at particular risk. However, the manifestations may also occur in patients without known cardiac disease. For instance, in marine stroke models, um, transient cardiac dysfunction and injury can be induced and correlate with size of the induced brain lesions and catecholamine levels. And if we have a look at the coronary vessel status of of stroke patients with um, myocardial injury, nearly half of patients have no evidence of obstructive coronary heart disease. And this supports the notion that stroke-induced mechanisms seem to play a role and um, in line of this idea we have observed in a study using voxel-based lesion symptom mapping that lesions within the right anterior insula are associated with severity of acute myocardial injury. Uh, So um, patients um, affecting the insula cortex are at particular risk as well. And there are also general risk factors which promote a more vulnerable heart or impair autonomic cardiac function. And these are higher age and higher overall burden of cardiovascular risk factors, diabetes, obstructive sleep apnea, and also certain medications um, that can alter cardiac repolarization and prolong QT time. 
These are also risk factors. Conditions like traumatic brain injury, they're, they're often referred to as uh, neurocardiogenic injuries. So what makes stroke heart syndrome distinct from these non-stroke causes of brain injury? Yes, indeed, this is an interesting question, and uh, we have discussed this a lot. Indeed, um, cardiac dysfunction is common after other causes of acute brain injury, and the gen proposed mechanisms in general of, of neurocardiogenic injury in these conditions and ischemic stroke are indeed similar. And there have been other names uh, for this entity, such as uh, brain heart syndrome or neurogenic heart syndrome. However, um, as outlined um, in our detail, uh, in, in our review, um, we would like to point out that the time course and the distribution of brain injury after ischemic stroke is different. So in patients with traumatic brain injury or seizures, for instance, a more paroxysmal sympathetic overactivity or autonomic arousal takes place with tachycardia, arrhythmia, blood pressure alterations, for instance. And in subarachnoid hemorrhage, for instance, we have a more global injury and di direct compression of the hypothalamus and pituitary gland is possible. And this directly affects the neurohumoral stress response. And uh, this is different in, in ischemic stroke. Another important difference is that patients with ischemic stroke constitute a special population that differs markedly from, from that of other uh, acute brain disorders. We have older patients with more vascular risk profile and more cardiovascular comorbidities. And to, to stay in the picture of the, of, the, of the first question, the patients with ischemic stroke have, in general, more vulnerable hearts. And, and this makes the stroke heart syndrome distinct from other brain disorders. In your review in the Lancet Neurology, you're, you're bringing together the evidence onto this term of stroke heart syndrome, but stroke-associated cardiac alterations have been clinically observed for decades. Tell us a little bit about the history leading up to the consideration of stroke heart syndrome as a distinct clinical entity. Yes, um, indeed there have been clinical observations already in the 1950s that individuals with acute cerebrovascular events but without known cardiac history and no obvious coronary heart disease on autopsy had repolarization changes in ECG and also transient rise in creatine kinase was seen in these conditions. And with the more specific um, diagnostic measures, these reports have been extended and confirmed in larger observational controlled studies in the 80s and 90s. And at this time, it became more and more clear that cardiac complications after stroke are associated with autonomic imbalance for instance, with higher catecholamine levels and altered uh, heart rate variability. And in parallel animal studies using MCA occlusion and um, also studies from autopsy after fatal subarachnoid hemorrhage showed myocardial lesions, which are called contraction band necrosis. And it was already known that these kind of lesions could also induce by applications of uh, catecholamines. These animal studies are really important here because they allow us to explore neurocardiogenic effects without uh, cardiac comorbidity at the same time. And I also would like to mention an another important parallel line of research that was driven by uh, Professor Stephen Oppenheimer and others um, who, who demonstrated that besides the traditional view of brainstem and spinal regulation of the cardiac function, there is a network of cortical and sub subcortical structures that are crucially involved in the control of the autonomic function of the human heart. And in the last decade, the, the cause of this um, call, so-called central autonomic network could be more and more specified using modern fMRI studies. And a special, 
especially the, the insular cortex, uh, which I mentioned earlier, seems to play an important role here. And several reports suggested an association between insular cortex ischemia and the occurrence of, of cardiac complications after stroke. And so altogether, this led to the stress hypothesis and stroke heart syndrome as a causal explanation for cardiac um, injury after stroke. Mm. So, so it's been quite a long run-up to this point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so finally then, why do you think it's important for neurologists to take the, the kind of integrated view of stroke heart syndrome that your review offers when they're treating their patients? Yeah, for, for clinicians treating acute stroke patients, uh, the, the concept can be valuable for, for several different reasons. So clinicians should be, should be aware that up to 20% of patients are affected uh, by the syndrome and giving the shared pathophysiology of the different manifestations, uh, clinicians should not only focus on a single complication, but rather realize that there is an overlap from cardiac injury, heart failure, and arrhythmia. And if we observe one minor manifestation like asymptomatic biomarker elevation, we have to be aware that there can be a progress to more severe manifestation like arrhythmia. And um, yeah, as a basic step, it is important to identify patients at risk, and I mentioned the risk factors earlier, um, and if subtle signs such as minor elevations of troponin levels, uh, QTC prolongation, for instance, or signs of heart failure, um, tachyarrhythmia occur, patients should receive a prolonged monitoring on a specialized unit, and non-invasive cardiac imaging um, uh, seems warranted and indicated. And um, what, what is more, um, to prevent the development and progression of, uh, of the syndrome, electrolyte disturbances should be balanced, um, drugs with known QTC prolongation should be avoided, and conditions that promote demand ischemia of the heart, such as uh, tachyarrhythmia or hypertensive crisis, uh, should be managed uh, rigorously. And also to, to stay in the picture of the stress test, um, if patients de develop cardiac complications, they deserve follow-up investigations to explore coronary vessel status and whether there's evidence of concomitant or insufficiently treated uh, coronary artery disease. And these are important aspects to, to consider for, for neurologists. Well, you can uh, read Jan's review on stroke heart syndrome in the November 2018 issue of The Lancet Neurology, and uh, you can read it online now, of course, at thelancet.com. Jan, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. Thank you.